cases of their, their vestments and all the ecclesiastical items that they need to have with them, uh, you know, church to church as they're traveling. And so going through the security system, the, uh, the box that the bishop's mitre was in, you know, the, the, the crown, uh, kind of didn't clear security, I guess, so someone was curious what was in there, and so the lady stopped him, and she said, may, may I look in here to see, see what's in here? He goes, of course, of course, go ahead. And so she opened the box, and she saw this beautiful, you know, gemmed and uh, jeweled crown. She says, you, you must be a king. And he goes, no, I work for the king. And she said, praise Jesus, was the response. She recognized who he was talking about when he said, I work for the king. One of the main things we encounter on today's feast of Palm Sunday is, in fact, the kingly ministry, if we could call that, of Jesus Christ our Lord. This kingly ministry of his is reflected even in certainly the Old Testament scriptures, which prophecy about the Messiah, about the Christ, and what type of king he will be. We read three Old Testament readings, in fact, last night at the Great Vespers for this feast. Going all the way back to Genesis, we hear prophetically, The scepter shall not depart from Judah until he comes to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the obedience of all the nations. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washes his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Already speaking about Jesus Christ, we see that this scepter, this ruler, will not depart from Judah because he is indeed, according to the flesh, descended from that tribe. And then certainly it mentions the donkey upon which he rode. In the prophet Zephaniah we heard, Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice. The king of Israel, the Lord himself, is in your midst. You shall not experience evil anymore. Speaking about the king of Israel being present, not just some God distant and far away, but in your midst, within you, casting out all evil that would encounter the people of God. Then finally, in the third prophetic word from Zechariah, we heard, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king comes to you. He is righteous and brings salvation, humble and lowly, and riding upon a donkey and upon the colt of a donkey. These scriptures all pointing to and ultimately fulfilled in the feast we celebrate today. As we heard from the Gospel of John, the people crying out, recognizing to some degree who this Jesus is. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. When we hearken back to our own baptism, brothers and sisters in Christ, we see that in the baptismal language and in the language of the scriptures, specifically New Testament and Colossians, it says that we have been transferred from one kingdom to another. What that means is at one point, prior to knowing the Lord, 
and coming into communion with him, we were under a certain dominion, the kingdom of darkness, as St. Paul puts it. But then he says we have been transferred, we've been moved into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of righteousness, where Satan does not reign, but God himself reigns over our world, where he reigns in our church that we were grafted into through holy baptism. Indeed, the priest asks the candidate to be baptized, do you believe in him? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And the response is, yes, I do believe in him as my king and as my God. So then, what does it mean to make this statement, to declare that Christ is our king, our personal ruler? What it means in very practical terms is that he fights for you and he grants you the victory. As any good king, when you read the history books, does, he's the first one in line. He doesn't sit back in his ivory tower as he sends people out to battle. He leads the charge, and he goes in front. And this is what our King Jesus Christ has done for us. He defends you as a good king against all the enemies. He provides protection. He is in charge of your well-being and provides for you and takes care of you as any good ruler would for his subjects. His word is law, and you submit to that law, but willingly, because you know that his law gives all good things. But how often do we imitate the very crowds we heard this morning in the gospel? On one day, we hear them saying, Hosanna, save us, O King of Israel. But when Pilate brought Jesus out before this very same crowd, just a few days later, and he said, Here is your king, (coughs) they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Then Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And then they responded once again, We have no king but Caesar. How quickly, how quickly we can shift our allegiances from God to the world, from that which is eternal to that which is fleeting, from everlasting bliss to just temporary pleasure. There was a time when the Israel of old had but one king, and that was God. They knew he had delivered them out of Egypt. They knew he had provided for them the heavenly manna in the desert. That he had provided for them water and drink for 40 years as they wandered. They knew that he had led them and went before them in that refreshing cloud that shielded them from the sun by day 
and guided them <coughs> excuse me <coughs> by a warm pillar <coughs> of luminous fire by night <coughs> and yet for all this they quickly forgot the many graces that God their king had given to them and they longed to be like the sinful people that were all around them. In fact, in 1 Samuel, we see this very Israel having been led by their one king God through all these things, said, appoint for us a king to govern us like all the other nations. So then, brothers and sisters, do we too forget our God and want to be ruled by idols and by all the false so-called kings around us? Do we want to be like most everyone else in the world? The traits of those kings are tyranny, falsehood, sin, and even death. But when we look to the traits of our king, in contrast, compared with those, we see that Christ's throne above is the cherubim. His throne below is a donkey and the wood of the cross. His crown above is his uncreated glory and his divinity. His crown below is one of thorns. His praise above is the ceaseless song of the angelic voices. But his praise below comes from the mouths of babes and infants. His scepter above is his supreme authority as the creator of the universe. His scepter below is a humble staff of a shepherd. His footstool above is the whole earth itself. His footstool below is his precious feet nailed to a tree. When I was a kid, I remember playing this game, maybe the kids still play it today, called King of the Hill. It's about getting on top of this great, you know, maybe a snow mound, whatever it might be, after the snow has accumulated, or climbing a a dirt pile, whatever it might be, and being the sole one to rule from the top. I remember having fun just trying to you know, throw people off, get up there, and it was kind of a battle getting up there. But once you were up there, you were sole ruler. You were in charge of, of everything. You were the king of that hill. I guess it's a way of young men to kind of assert themselves and flex their muscles, but you wanted to be alone up there. However, this is not, again, a reflection of our king. Christ our King wants to share His own glory with us so long as we are completely and entirely committed to Him as our King and our God, as we once confessed. He wants to share His own eternal kingdom with us, of which we have a foretaste even here and now, right here on this earth within His Holy Church which church we should be ever grateful for. 
the fact that he wants to share his kingly rule, his glory, he states himself in the book of Revelation, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. So therefore, let us then cry out in all sincerity, with 100% commitment, Hosanna to Jesus Christ, the King of kings, my King. And may he be allowed to take up residence in our hearts. Indeed, let us prepare his throne within us to let him rule over our lives. Let us see that Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem is not just some blessed historical event, but an event present, here and now, where Jerusalem is said to be our soul, to which Christ comes, and in which he reigns, and in which he rules over our lives forever and ever. And to him be the glory now and ever, to the ages of ages. Amen.